But today's a very special day in the life of our church um, as Russell Moore is here to preach. Uh, Dr. Moore has, it has, is currently serving for Christianity Today as the director of their Center for Public Theology. Uh, he was formerly the president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. He was also the Dean of Students at Southern Seminary. And that's really where Dr. Moore and I began a friendship. He was a professor of mine and he's taught a lot of our staff members. Uh, and I'm so indebted to him. The way that he talked about the word of God, the way that he talked about Christian doctrine, planted seeds in my heart. You could say it this way, dug a well in my life that, that anybody that has been a part of my ministry and preaching has, has benefited from. And so, 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 much of the, so much of my excitement for the word of God, for Christian theology, uh, really God used this man to blow uh, wind on that fire, to, 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 to stoke that fire in my heart. And so I'll, I'll forever be so grateful for who you are to me as a professor, but more so I'm grateful to who Dr. Moore is to me as a friend, his, his capacity to continue friendships with his students, uh, is amazing. And through the years, Dr. Moore has been a consistent and wonderful and faithful friend, not only to me, but also to our church. And so I, I'm so honored that he is here today. Dr. Moore wrote a book, and it's probably been about 12 years ago or so now, called Adopted for Life. We have copies of this available. Tom mentioned this book, uh, and so please go grab one on your way out. Uh, I'm not sure what the cost is, but it's a reasonable cost. But I do just want is it could if anyone here today is like, you know what, I've been thinking about adoption, or I've been thinking about how what adoption means as a Christian, what it, what it, how it, how it uh, relates to who we are in Christ, uh, if this book would be helpful for you. So who, who has been having some of those thoughts that could be helped by this? Okay, Leslie, right, can, you, can you do this? You're gonna have to put your cup down. Well, you got a hurt wrist too. Okay, I'll just, I'll just hand you the book. In the first service, you know, just to show Dr. Moore how much we appreciate him, we, we gave him a signed copy of uh, a book by Walker uh, Percy. But um, this book, we also have a gift. It's not as exotic, but it is a gift card to Sonic. Because <laughs> if anyone enjoys Sonic Happy Hour, it's Russell Moore. So let's give a warm Christ Covenant welcome to Dr. Moore. Thank you, Jason. If you turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, and while you're turning there, let me say thank you. I was telling someone last night, through the pandemic, the drive to Sonic and back um, was sort of the time when I could think, and because happy hour is when these huge propane tank size uh, drinks, Route 44 size, were on, you know, half price. My kids took to when someone would call the phone, uh, call the phone, uh, asking for me to say, "Oh, Dad's not here right now. He's at happy hour," which, <laughs> at the time, I was an official in the Southern Baptist Convention, so that was a crisis, uh, and had to explain. Now we're just talking about aspartame and and uh, fizzy water. It's. It's a joy to be here at this congregation. I'm thankful to God for my former students here, Jason and Barrett and Blake and others. We knew that Jason Dees was a natural leader when he showed up at New Student Orientation and said, all right, 
let's get started. I guess you all are wondering why I've called you here today. And then immediately had everybody organized into where they were going to live, what they were going to take. And he, he demonstrated from the very beginning, this guy knows how to mobilize people and to lead. And look at this. I mean, it's, it's been so encouraging to be in this place and to see the way that the Spirit uh, is moving here and the sort of uh, love and affection for Christ that is here. I just give thanksgiving to God for that. Romans chapter 8, if you would uh, look at verse 12 and let's read down through verse 26. And since these words are breathed out by the Holy Spirit, would you please stand with me out of reverence for the word of our God? The Holy Spirit says through the Apostle Paul to the church at Rome, so then brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits in eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. May God bless his word to us today. You may be seated. It's October, month of Halloween, so many scary movies are being uh, released and introduced at this time every year. And one of the things that's really note is really um, interesting is to watch trailers for movies. Often you can tell what kind of movie it is going to be just by the background music. Now, there, there's a kind of music that can give a creepy sort of feel or a kind of mu music that can give a light sort of airy feel. And there are people who realizing this will just swap those things out on YouTube. So they might, for instance, by making the music really bouncy and just editing a trailer around, can turn The Shining into a romantic comedy. Uh, or uh, they can take Home Alone or Paddington 2 and by putting this slow, ominous, creepy music in the background can turn it into a horror film in the trailer. There, there's so much of how we view things and how we see things that come through sound, 
these, these sort of cues that you might not even be aware of at the moment how they're changing you. For me, a definitive moment was realizing that the creepiest sound I had ever heard in my life was nothing at all. My wife and I were in Russia, a little mining community down near the Ukrainian border where we were going to adopt two little one-year-old boys uh, who were there in that orphanage. And the way the process worked at the time, we had to make two trips. So we had to go over, meet the children, go out to their orphanage every day, talk with them, appear in court, and then we had to go home without them and wait for several months for the paperwork to go through, at which point we could come back and get them. Every day we'd walk in, we'd walk down the hallway, and I would turn to my wife and say, have you noticed this? This building is filled with babies, and yet we can hear our own footsteps echoing and nothing else. There's no crying, there's no sound coming out of these rooms. So I started talking to some people who have worked in those kinds of institutions before. And they said, yes, that's common because there's a reason a baby cries. A baby cries to say, I'm hungry or I'm scared or I'm tired or I need changing. Uh, I need attention from you. But after a while, when a baby cries and there's no response, a baby will ultimately stop crying. And the end result is just silence. So every day we'd walk in to silence. We would see these two little boys, play with them for an hour, and then we would walk out in silence. Happened all week long until the last day of that first trip, which was really hard for us because we knew we had to now leave and we knew that they wouldn't be able to understand what was going on. I didn't know what to say before we walked out of the room and I knew they wouldn't understand me anyway. So I just found myself saying the words of Jesus, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. And we walked out the door. And we walked out the door, we heard one of those little boys, then Maxime, now Benjamin, fall forward in the crib and scream. And I could feel my wife starting to buckle next to me and to tear up. And I said, wait, 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 wait. That is the most beautiful sound I have ever heard. He knows he has parents. He knows that he's going to be heard. And it was at that moment, I think, that I had the first inkling of an understanding of a key part of this passage that we just read, where the Apostle Paul says, as he says elsewhere to the church at Galatia, the Spirit of God that, that is present within you, if you are following the leading of the way of the Spirit rather than the way of the flesh, the result is a crying out of Abba, Father. Often, we, we tend to think of that simply in terms of familiarity, a child recognizing his father. We recognize the fatherhood of God. But the Abba cry is a cry of anguish. So when Paul says in Galatians, through the spirit of the son, we cry Abba, what he's tying us to is what 
Mark says in his gospel, Jesus is crying out, Abba, where? In the Garden of Gethsemane, as he is being led toward crucifixion, he is sweating blood and he is crying out, Father, if it be possible, take this cup from me, yet do your will. He's crying out, Abba, and what the Spirit does is to prompt us as children of God to cry out, Abba, Father. And this way of adoption that Paul talks about, he says, is contrasted with fear. You have not come into the situation where you are to fall backward into slavery to fear which is something that holds us captive. We respond to it in different ways. Some people respond to this slavery to fear by pursuing their appetites. Some people respond to this slavery to fear by trying to work hard and accomplish a lot. Some people respond to this slavery to fear by just distracting themselves with multiple different things. Some people respond to this slavery to fear by doing religious things and trying to appear before God in that way. All of those things, though, are slavery. And the reason they're slavery is because they're built upon a model of an employee with an employer. You don't, when you get your paycheck, for those of you who work, when you get your paycheck at the end of the week or at the end of the month, uh, you're not filled with tears of gratitude and overjoyed to call your employer and say, I can't believe you gave me this check. Thank you. You're going to be maybe grateful for the job, but you're going to say, I worked for it. I received payment. Paul says, that is not the way of adoption as sons. That is not the way of the Spirit. The Spirit is doing something different, and it's all bound up in that Abba cry. There are a number of things here necessary for us to know. The first is this question of identity. It says, through the Abba cry, we come to know who we are. So he says, the spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Now, every time that I read that, I know there are going to be some of you in this room for whom that is a really uncomfortable passage of scripture. Because there are some Christians, I suppose, who come to know Christ never have a minute of doubt about it for the rest of their lives. I don't know many of those people, and I'm certainly not one of those people. Many Christians, though, spend their, their time because we know ourselves only from the inside out. We assume, I know how bad off I am and how, as we sang today, prone to wonder I am. And we assume everybody else is sort of sitting there just singing hymns to themselves all the time, and we're the ones with this inner conflict. And so sometimes when people hear the Spirit bears witness with your spirit that you are the children of God, they start to say, well then, that means I must not be a child of God, because they assume that what that means is that there's this little internal prompt inside your mind and heart saying to you, you are a child of God. You are a child of God. Do not be alarmed. You are a child of God. That's not the spirit. That's Jiminy Cricket. It's not how the spirit works. He says, the spirit 
testifies with your spirit that you are children of God. How? Through the Abba cry, through the groaning that is sometimes too deep for words. So often the very people who are concluding there's no way that I can be a Christian because I'm in this sense of lament at my own mess and I'm in this sense of just uh, anguish about uh, the fact that I keep doing the stuff I don't want to do and I don't do the stuff that I want to do. They assume that that means that they don't belong to Christ, that they don't have the Spirit, when that's actually evidence that they do. That there is a groaning that is taking place here. It tells you who you are. You are the children of God. That's what adoption does. So that, you know, sometimes people will say to me, because we have five kids, uh, we adopted the first two and then the others came along the more typical way, is to say, well, which ones are the adopted ones and which ones are the, you know, the real ones? And I'll say, everyone we feed is real. Uh, they, they, they all are. And, but also to say, according to the scripture, adopted is not an adjective. Adopted is a past tense verb. It tells you how you came into the family of God, but it doesn't put you in some secondary category any more than our fourth son was born three and a half weeks premature, Jonah. That's part of his story. We're not ashamed of that, of course. But I would never find myself saying, I have four sons and one premature son, Jonah. Uh, nor would I, uh, if, if the obituary uh, is, is ever printed for me, I wouldn't want it to say, and he is survived by his premature son, Jonah. He's my son. He was premature. That's it. These are my sons. They were adopted. That's it. Paul is saying, you have come into the family through the adoption by the Spirit, but once you are in the family of God, everything that belongs to the family of God belongs to you, which is why he moves from identity here to belonging. And the most important, perhaps, word in this passage, other than Abba, is the word at the very beginning, so then, brothers. It's a word that's come to mean very little in an Americanized Christian culture, where brother is just sort of a spiritual way to say friend or neighbor. It's the word we use when we've forgotten somebody's name. Hey, brother, how are you doing? And almost every young single Christian man knows what it means when a young single Christian woman says, I love you as a brother in Christ. <laughs> and if you don't know that, I'm, I'm just here to tell you it's not good for your prospects uh, going on. It's a word that doesn't mean anything. But in this context, everyone would have understood what this meant because you had Jewish Christians there who had always grown up in the covenant, had always grown up with the scriptures. You had Gentile Christians there who were really uncomfortable 
because they're looking around and they're reading the Bible and all of this language about circumcision. They're saying, we're not circumcised. And they're reading the fact that all of the characters who are like them in the Old Testament are the bad guys, Goliath uh, and so forth. And many of them are wondering, do I really belong here? Am I really supposed to be here? Paul uses this language of the Old Testament that refers to the people of God, Israel, as brothers. They start out as 12 brothers. You are to count yourself as brothers and sisters, and he applies it to all of them, Jew and Gentile, insiders and outsiders, old people and new people. He puts them all together into one body. He says, because what has brought you into the family of God is not your flesh, it's not your earning, it's not your accomplishments, it's not your pedigree, it's not your background, it's the Spirit of God through the gospel which means that you're here because Jesus went and sought you out. You're not here accidentally. Doesn't matter who you are or what your backstory is. He says, Gentiles, you're here because you were adopted into the family. He says, Jews, in Romans 9, yours is the adoption. Reminding them, Abraham was not born a spiritual trust fund baby. He was a pagan in a pagan land and was adopted into the family of God. That's the story of everybody. So you belong to one another as a family and it means that you have a common future. He says, if you are children, then you are heirs. There's a reason why Paul will use the language of sons applying to both men and women in this context. And it's not because he's a misogynist or something. It's because he knew if he used the language sons and daughters, that the insiders would say, that's right, we're the sons, we have the inheritance, you're the daughters, you have the relationship, but you don't, your, your inheritance is with your husband in the culture of that time. No, no, no. He comes in and says, all of you, male and female, Jew and Gentile, are all sons of God, which means you have a common inheritance, a common future. Now, just like brother, that word inheritance doesn't mean a lot to us because we think of it in terms of really, really wealthy people driving around in BMWs in Malibu with wealth management consultants managing their inheritance that's going to come. Or we think of it at a really, really low level. Aunt Flossie died, she's left, she left us these lamps. We're gonna figure out what to do with them. It's just sort of supplemental to my life. That's not what inheritance meant in this culture. Inheritance meant your entire future. There were no guidance counselors to help you figure out what it is that you're going to do with your life. If your father's a farmer, you're gonna be a farmer. He's going to leave you a plot of land that you're going to work. If your father's a fisherman, you don't have to wonder what you're going to do. You're going to be a fisherman. He's going to leave you these nets in this boat that you're to pick up, which is why it's so shocking when the gospels say that Peter, James, and John left their nets and their father and went to follow him. You're, you're cutting yourself off from your entire future. 
He says, you have received an inheritance, and the inheritance, he says, is the freedom of creation, the glory of the children of God that is to come, the revealing of the sons of God that you can't see by, by sight right now. You see only through faith. He says that revealing is coming and it's glorious. That belongs to you. And if you're wondering how much of that belongs to you, consider that you're not just heirs. It's not as though somebody's reading the Testament and saying the will that's there and saying, you get this and you get this and you get this. He says, no, no, you're co-signed. You are joint heirs with Christ. So everything that belongs to Christ belongs to you. And what belongs to Christ? Everything. He says, that's what adoption has given to you. That's why we don't have to fall backward into fear. That's why we don't have to fall backward into slavery. Because our future is secure and we don't have to obsess over what's happening in the moment compared to what is waiting for us. That is really hard to do, which is why every time Paul talks about this, he is saying, remember this and don't fall backward. Remember this, Galatians 4, you want to go back to the elementary principles and powers and be their slaves once again. All of us have that pull. When my wife and I went back to that orphanage to pick up our sons, the thing we noticed was that when we brought them outside, they were terrified. They'd never been outside before. They'd never been in the sun. So shadows appearing on them, they were trying to brush them away as though they were uh, bugs or something. They never felt the wind in their face, so they would scream every time the wind would come through. They never heard a car ignition turn on. That was terrifying. Never heard a car door slam. That was terrifying. And as we were driving away, I could see both of them reaching backward to the orphanage. And I'm saying to them, even though again, knowing they don't understand me, hey, that place was a pit. You have no idea. We are headed to air conditioning and grandparents and cousins, parents who love you, Legos, happy meals. You know, all of these things that you, you really can't even imagine, but that's just the point. They couldn't imagine it because the orphanage was all they had known. They couldn't compare life in the orphanage with life in a family because they had nothing to compare it to. Paul says, that is your problem as those who have received an adoption, those who are waiting on an inheritance, the freedom of the glory of the children of God, you don't know what you are waiting for. You have no sense of what to compare this with. And so we find ourselves reaching back in fear towards slavery, we see the sufferings of the present time, and often the problem is not that the sufferings of the present time are too much for us. Often it is that we don't even recognize the sufferings of the present time as sufferings. 
we see them as normal. What the Spirit does is to prompt you to groan. You look around at the creation that is not the way it's supposed to be, and you groan. You look at yourself that you're not the way you are supposed to be, and you groan. And what the Spirit does is to prompt you, it says, sometimes as the Spirit is working and interceding for you with groanings that are too deep for words, you don't know what to say. In the same way that a baby isn't trying to come up with a speech to tell mom or dad, I need you. A baby cries. That's what the Spirit does. It creates a dependence upon a Father God, and it creates a sense of frustration and discontent with the things the way that they are. That is how you know that you have received the spirit of adoption. That is how you know that you are approaching God as Father. And when that happens, you are constantly being reminded of where you're going, inheritance, and where you came from. We were orphans. We were vulnerable. We were fatherless. We were futureless. And now we are beloved sons and daughters. We have brothers and sisters. We have a father who hears us. When we cry, there is a response to that. So what does that mean? When you consider the fact that right now, just miles from here, there's probably a young woman who has an appointment for tomorrow morning at an abortion clinic because she doesn't know what else to do. Just miles from here, there's probably a kid in foster care who's kind of telling himself or herself the story, no one will ever want you. And sometimes telling himself or herself, it's because you're bad. There may be just outside the mile perimeter of here, a child who's waiting to be adopted or parents who are adopting and who don't know how to handle the stress and the trauma of it all. What an understanding of the gospel as the spirit of adoption is about is to remember, just as God says in the Old Testament, you care for the stranger because you were a stranger in Egypt. You care for the poor because you were poor in Egypt. You respond to groaning because God heard your groaning in Exodus chapter two. We do not come to the widows and orphans who are around us as messiahs. We come to them as those who have experienced the very same reality and are loving because we have been loved in that way. That does not mean that everybody is called to adopt or foster. Most people aren't. The only thing worse than someone God is calling to adopt or foster not doing that is someone God has not called to adopt or foster 
doing it. Children are not a way to fix your marriage. Children are not a way to bring meaning to your life. Children are not a means to an end. They're an end in themselves. But some of you, God is calling to adopt. Some of you, God is calling to participate in the foster care system. And then others of you, God is calling to care for widows and orphans in a multitude of other ways. Maybe it's supporting that family that has adopted, either financially or by helping them to get away uh, every once in a while, finding out what it is that they need. Maybe it's something along the lines of a church I knew once that started to recognize that in their community, in the foster care system, when a child was taken out of a home, maybe it, in the middle of the night because of a drug-induced domestic violence situation, the child would have to go and sit with the social worker while he or she was trying to find a place to, to place the child immediately, which meant that the child was having to hear rehearsed over and over and over again what the trauma was back there and to sit there and to hear how many people said no. And this church said, here's what we can do. We can vet people, we can train people, we can have a room that has toys and books and trained uh, trauma-informed trained people there so that the child has a place to go while the social worker is in the next room making all of those calls. Well, why did that come to them? It came to them simply because they started paying attention to the people who previously were invisible to them and they started to hear their groans. Or the guy who stood up in his congregation and said, I've realized we have a lot of single moms in our community and a lot of single moms in our community who when their cars break down, they can't get back and forth to work. God's gifted me as an auto mechanic and so I'm going to be here every first Saturday of the month, and I'm going to be doing basic auto uh, maintenance on those cars and teaching you how to identify if there's a problem and then helping you to get it fixed. That's care for widows and orphans in their distress. It shows up in a multitude of different ways, but it belongs to everybody. Why? Because their story is our story too ongoingly. And there may be people in this room who are still trying to come to God by being an employee. Still thinking, I've got to be good enough. I've got to get my life together. When the spirit of adoption is saying to you, none of those things are the case. Jesus knows everything about you right now better than you know yourself. He is not shocked. He is not repulsed. He is not standing back and saying, wow, look at that. He is saying, I know all of that. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you home. And for those of us who have already experienced that, we still tend to fall back into that pattern of thinking. Rather than realizing that through the Spirit, we cry out. And when we're crying out, 
the echoed voice we hear alongside ours is his. So that when God responds to us, he does not respond to us as, ugh, this guy again. Oh, this woman, she's coming to me again and she hasn't even done her Bible reading and prayers this week. No, he is looking at you exactly as he looks at Jesus of Nazareth, which is to say, this is my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. And even when you don't have the words to say anything, he hears you. That's what it means to be adopted into the family of God. That's what it means to know Abba changes everything, which means not only are we heard, we also listen. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for those in this room that you are, that you are calling to yourself. Pray, Lord, that they would stop waiting, stop, stop trying to get ready, and that they would just come to you. I pray for those that you're calling to adopt, that, that you would just allow them to say, Lord, we think this might be what you're calling us to do. Would you show us? Would you open doors and give us the desire to do that if that's what you want us to do? Or foster care or pregnancy resource centers or uh, caring for uh, the elderly or the um, or the vulnerable around them, or whatever it is that you're calling people to do, would you start to show them their place here? And we ask this, Father, in Jesus' name.